Good morning and welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm your host, Emily Dieter, and today we're in the lovely Double Bay at the 4th International Healthcare Reform Conference. Um, I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest for today, Professor Les Toop, who's here for the conference. Uh, he's the chair of the Pegasus Primary Healthcare Organisation and also the head of Department of General Practice at the University of Otago in New Zealand. And he has a lot of experience in research and also in advocacy. I'm really excited to ask him about both, but particularly his advocacy work today. Welcome thank you for joining us, Les. Thank you for inviting me. Um, could you maybe start by just giving people a bit of an overview of what your role is for people who might not know? Yeah, okay. So um, I have for um, three decades been um, an academic at the uh, University of Otago in Christchurch. Actually, it's, it's got three schools, um, so which is the largest, second largest city in, in New Zealand and the middle of the South Island, for those who don't know. So I um, have been involved in teaching research and community service in that role and uh, interestingly, well, it might be interesting for your um, listeners, uh, it was a joint department of, of public health and general practice. Oh, that's until, fantastic. Up until two, three years ago after the earthquakes in Christchurch, we, for space reasons as much as anything, we split the department, so just general practice now. So I've been involved in lots of public health uh, teaching and um, supervision and so on over the decades. Um, I've also been um, in a group general practice for same 31 years in an urban uh, inner city Christchurch practice and for the last 25 years I've been involved since its inception with the Pegasus Medical Group um, which is now um, probably the second largest primary health organisation in New Zealand and which has been an absolute blast. It's been a 25 years of, sort of uh, innovation, integration, advocacy, you name it, um, been a real laboratory um, for um, Moving, moving primary care forward. And now, in fact, we think beyond that. We, we formed an alliance with um, the other organisations, with the DHB, with consumers, with everybody, really. But it, it's been... Um, we've been through, I think, um, 13 ministers of health and five governments and four um, iterations of funding structures from uh, areas to regions to... All of what, all of the country, and then back down to districts, and we're about ready for another one. And what would you say some some of the biggest sort of highlights or achievements during that time with Pegasus has been? Well, probably mm, a number of achievements. Uh, probably it has been. It was until the alliance was formed. It was the innovation kind of hub, really. Um, so we um, were involved very early on with a, a. We set up an education program from day one uh, to try and promote rational um, practice. Um, we were very aware that there was both, um, even back in those days, there were equity issues, so there was under-treatment, under-diagnosis, but there was also a lot of over-treatment, over-diagnosis. So we set out, set about trying to have an evidence-informed way of reducing variation, uh, and we had, a, um, we had a belief that there was more over, well, it was a guess really, that there was more <laughs> over-treatment, over over-diagnosis than there was under. And so if you reduce variation, you, you fix both. And if there's a net gain from the over-diagnosis, over-treatment, um, there were savings to be made. And we entered an arrangement with the funder of the day uh, that if we could save money by doing this, we would split the money. And we saved a nine-figure sum. That's fantastic. Hundreds oh, of millions cool. of dollars. Um, which we had already formed a charity, so that was then we could use that to invest in in um, new services. Uh, mm-hmm. and half went back to the state, but interestingly, for perhaps for your listeners, the first the first uh, uh, 
taxis off the rank were um, we set up a mammography program before there was a national one mm -hmm. which we funded out of savings we employed immunization coordinators and we set up a smoke-free um, in fact we imported and adapted one from over here the, yeah. the were the first things that the GPs collectively said that's what we want to spend our money on so I think that was quite interesting um, and then when we got a um, uh, in 2001 we had a change of government and the primary healthcare strategy came in which for the first time had patient enrollment mm -hmm. in, in it was pushing um, sorry it was it was uh, enabling uh, patient registration so that everybody in the country had to be registered uh, moved from fee-for-service to a part capitation uh, model and this allowed for the first time a uh, sort of mutual responsibility and everybody had to be registered and so the equity issues became way more apparent but there was a collective responsibility that, that a group like Pegasus could then take on and we've been we've had some significant um, achievements in addressing that equity and there's stuff still to go but um, you know I mentioned mammography before we've got the highest um, indigenous mammography rate in the world um, because mm -hmm. we formed a partnership with the local radiologist set up a company and did all the calls and recalls ourselves Probably not good to get into a debate about mammography and its um, its benefits, but and and the same <coughs> the same would apply to other things. So, um, and because well, for other reasons, um, it became clear that there were other unfairnesses in the system, and, and in particular, if you had a good, really good GP, you got a better deal than if you had a GP just to come into town because they didn't know how the system worked. Mm. And it's good for you as a patient, but it's not good for patients collectively. Yeah. So that led to. Um, have you heard of Health Pathways? I haven't. Okay, so Health Pathways is a um, is a, a set of agreed principles and um, implementing what what is agreed. Guidance really about how to do most things, particularly anything to do with um, the hospital and primary care, so referrals and, and so on. And that that was um, set up. Well, we set that up when we had um, a whole lot of people who were just thrown off the waiting list because we didn't, couldn't cope with them, but in a completely random and unfair way. Mm -hmm. So what we have now is a system that is equally unfair to everybody. Um, and, and so everything has to have a kind of a you know, criteria for referral. Yeah. Health Pathways is open most to Australia now as well, I'm running out of Canterbury. Okay, I um, should know about so that. So yeah, well, your GPs will know about it. Um, and it's the, it's a single sort of source of truth, and it updates constantly, and you can it's it's, um, it's uh, interactive, so you can make suggestions to it. An electronic referral system. And so we, we got into the IT space. We've got a Pegasus about seventy IT staff who write software for this, that, and the other. And but Health One is probably the other single biggest achievement, which is the um, electronic shared record view. So that the whole South Island now, the pharmacy, general practice, hospitals, district nursing is all linked up, so that you can you know, get a patient who wanders into town from somewhere else. You can find out what's happened. To them. Yeah, that's the dream. So we were talking to um, Judith Smith the other day, and she um, we were talking to her about how New Zealand does have quite good healthcare systems and public health with much more integration mm. um, than a lot of other places. So, what lessons do you think Australia can learn from that? I think everyone would agree that the single biggest barriers to integrate people want to integrate, people want to collaborate. I mean, yeah. I've, I've met many people who don't want to collaborate, and they just they can't because the mm. system doesn't let them. Yeah. Um, and there are some really good things going on here, so, you know, and take my hat off to some of the things that have been done. I mean, I guess, uh, you, you know, if you take from our experience, what makes it easier is having one budget. Okay, yeah. So having your state, you know, federal, and that's just 
that is real, really difficult. Yeah. Someone paid a clip just before um, uh, of, of a doctor being interviewed two, 20 years ago in Australia, and and you know you, it would it's current today around the budget. Right. So that's um, that's one of the things, and the second thing, um, and it's happening sl- uh, slowly with the, with the various iterations of healthcare homes that are just starting, is that patient enrolment I talked about before. Patient enrolment will make a huge difference, I think, in Australia in terms of knowing who it is you're dealing with. Yeah. And then groups groups of um, um, practitioners or whomever, um, whatever size grouping they form, can take responsibility for that population um, and get better metrics. Yeah. I mean, where we are, and you see, we are very lucky with data. We have lots of that. Lots yes, of that, you lots really do. We, we have data envy. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, we're, we're drowning in it, really. And... And then because we're small, you know, there's four million people. That's like Melbourne, isn't it? So, so, um, uh, and you'll spread out enormously. And but we, you know, we've got lots of national collections which we can also plunder um, and use with our own local data. I mean, there's lots still to do, but it does mean we get a much better handle on things. And part of our education program that we've set up all those years ago and still today has a lot of um, individualised feedback buried within it so people go and sit in a room with you know, 10 of their mates and look at what they're doing compared you know with their names on it and compare um, with their peers and with some evidence then discuss um, why the variation is there is it healthy variation is it unhealthy variation mm-hmm. and it's, it's quite formative in a non-threatening yeah. way in terms of um, most people occasional maverick but most people want to be kind of, you know, in the middle. Yeah. Um, so it's a very non-threatening way of, um, of you know, guiding, reducing variation. If there's a, there's a new piece of evidence that seems as though the whole curve needs to move, it's a good change mechanism. We've got about um, 90% engagement in our education program from doctors, nurses and pharmacists. And we're getting basically the same program. And so that was started in Canterbury. It's now run out over much of the country. Um, that's another one of the canopy things that spread yeah. just like health pathways has. That's excellent. And you, so you've talked a bit about different um, governments going through, um, and I guess I'm just um, interested in your thoughts about sort of health as a political, in the political context, and how you sort of manage mm. that. Whereas it's not necessarily what's always best for someone, but yeah, it's you know sure. what's going on at a political yeah. level has such a big influence. Yeah, I once said at a um, at a meeting um, when I was. Young and foolish, in the in the late eighties, um, uh, wouldn't it be nice if health was taken out of party politics and everyone fell off their chair? <laughs> um, and but it, I still maintain that that's what we need to do. We've done it in New Zealand with superannuation, and we've done it with one or two other things. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of you know, kicking health around as a football is um, is doesn't help anybody. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, uh, I, you know, I was again saying to someone last night, I, thought, I think I'm on my 13th Minister of Health, and I've got on with half of them, but not the other half. So mm. you have to, it's a long game. Help guide them. Um, and how because do you build they, those? They, they're very fresh, and, and, they, and we've got a brand new one. He's a fantastic guy. He's going to be really good, but he doesn't know much about health because he's just sort of, you know, just the job landed on his plate. He wanted mm-hmm. it, but he, but yeah. he, he had, doesn't have that experience. experience. And, and health is really complicated. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you build them? Do they come to you as a pro, as a you know um, person who's an expert, or do you build those relationships with them as well, an advocate? How do you start? Well, I mean, how do you... Okay, so if you wanted to say, how, how do you get where I am, you know, 25 years ago, if yes. you're starting out... Okay, so my advice is that you get um, you get yourself on various national committees, you know, through the colleges, through get on to um, ministry or the equivalent of Department of Health, I guess, 
committees, ministerial committees are even better. Um, my particular interest was in um, pharmaceuticals um, and prescribing particularly. Yeah. So we have a, um, a, a thing called Pharmac, which is what gives New Zealand such cheap medicines compared yeah. to here. So being on the advisory board for that, um, getting to, you know, building credibility with your colleagues in m- multiple disciplines, not just your own discipline. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then, um, particularly through colleges, people that have policy units. So if you're involved with some of the policy unit, well then A, you get to understand a bit about policy, but you also can then front some of the stuff. Yeah. Um, and then you just go, uh, my own, you go knock on doors. Or you have a particular thing that you wish to... You know, none of you want to talk about the art to consumer advertising. I do. So then, <laughs> uh, literally, in a um, Annette King, who was Minister of Health back in whenever it was, must have been about 2000, came to talk in the medical school, and I was in the front row. I literally leapt over the um, seat at the end, grabbed her before she came out, and said, um, This is a, you know, we need to do something about this. We are the only country in the world other than America that allows this sort of mass misinformation. Um, and um, she said, Yeah, no, that sounds interesting. Come and see me. Excellent. And then that's how it starts. And so you, um, yeah, and you don't, sometimes you're. You get a receptive audience, and sometimes you don't. But then being able to talk to your, you know, your colleagues and being involved with the various organisations and, and you know, picking the wisdom out of the people who've been around the traps, yeah. but still remaining enthusiastic and idealistic. <laughs> easy to be. Uh, I'm going easy, to easy, try. Easy to, easy to become uh, cynical because you've seen it all before. But so yeah, that's that's, and then then some you'll find an issue that really really burns you up. You know, you're passionate about, it and you just don't let go. And yeah. so, um, and then people recognise that, and um, and then it does help. I mean, you know, obviously, everyone can't have an academic position, but I mean, I would say, you know, probably the one of the the main drivers for me wanting to get to the top of the tree, it, it was that it opens doors for you. Yeah, to have those conversations and yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you're, you're you're probably more likely to get an audience with a professor in front of your name than you're not. It doesn't always yeah. work that way, but but sometimes it does. And it's a game of chess. It's a long game yeah. of chess, and sometimes it's playing three games of chess at the same time. Uh, <laughs> and and that and that's not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah, yeah I would say um, if you think if you want to know if you've got the you know if you've got the sort of innate bit that you need because leadership's some of it is just innate you know it's just it is you're sitting in a big committee room and don't don't so much listen to the content but listen to or look at what's happening and try and think what do they really think because half the time people are not saying what they think yeah and try and you know piece together the jigsaw puzzle some people have got that neck and then yeah i can see what's going on there that's really because that's what politics is all about yeah and so I did want to talk about, you just mentioned earlier, your advocacy work in terms of um, the medical advertising in New Zealand. Mm. How did you first get involved with that? Was it just because it really bothered you well, as an issue? It was, it was because I'd been involved in um, it both with Pharmac, uh, um, I could see what was happening with the way the drug companies were working, but also I had been invited to um, join and ended up chairing the National Preferred Medicine Centre, which was a quality improvement um, group run mostly by academics, a national one. It was independent um, in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got heavied somewhat by the drug companies. We were putting out bulletins for um, doctors at the time and giving them feedback. It was the early, which, which is what flowed on it into the Pegasus program, actually. And so I had, um, I was beware that, that um, you know, when you're reading the papers and seeing the bias in the literature and all the rest of it, um, so I became quite familiar with that. And then, 
Um, the I was here when the drug companies put their toe in the water to see if they could get away with um, direct consumer advertising. And New Zealand has it by omission, not commission, in the sense that they never put in place anything to stop it. Right. Whereas everyone else saw it coming and put put like you have here, put clauses in mm. to stop it. I was wondering how it got through. Yeah, yeah, no, it didn't. No one said, yeah, let's have it. it just they didn't have a reason to stop right. it. Uh, and it. And I saw it build up. And then what really enraged general practitioners was a particular um, thing where it was some misinformation on television. Um, but basically encouraged everyone who was taking the common asthma inhaler of the day, which uh, steroid inhaler, which was um, you know, had the most of the market, they should need to go to their doctor soon to get changed and changed onto the new. One. The new one was three times as expensive, um. twice as potent, which most people didn't realise. So people ended up getting overdosed. But more to the point, people came in, started coming in in droves and saying, "I want this." And, mm. it's, and then suddenly, this dynamic of of a uh, the learned intermediary suddenly was being told what it was they were to um, to, to do. And when when you you know when you have several of those in a day, after a while, you stop having the twenty minute conversation about why it's not the right thing for you. It's the easiest yeah. thing is just to just to comply. Yeah. And so how is it at the moment? Where does it stand now, the issue in New Zealand? So the issue in New Zealand at the moment is, um, is interesting um, because it was, it was within a whisker of being banned in 2002, three, four, around that area, uh, era, sorry, when um, the government changed. So Annette King, it's complicated, but it was all to do with trans-Tasman harmonisation because you don't have it, so that would have been allowed. If we harmonised, we couldn't have Annette, but got caught up with a whole lot of things. It was about the time of the Penn Pharmaceuticals um, alternative medicines scandal. Um, so, um, so in then we've had a government for nine years who we you know wouldn't even count countenance. They wouldn't even discuss it. Mm -hmm. It's a right-wing government that was going to upset industry. Uh, but now we're back to a, a left-leaning government, um, and so I think the time is right to reopen that debate, and I am optimistic. And it's a slow burn. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. My mentor, John Howie in Edinburgh, um, got um, significant um, additional money for clinical placements of doctors and nurses in general practices. It took 15 years. And he was, you know, got his mates down to sit in Parliament when they actually, you know, did the piece of legislation, which was late at night, and there were about four people in the house. Um, but he taught me that, you know, that some things that are really important, you, you, you've got to be really patient. Yeah. And mm. like patient, maybe decade or longer. Yeah. Yeah. You get big wins with some other things. But what, what, you, and the other thing is, what passion, what you're passionate about, and you think is incredibly important, might be on page three of the priorities of the government. Yeah. So you can't even get it on the order paper, you can't get them. It's not that they disagree with you, they're mm. just more important. Yeah, ones. they've got priorities. So, and of course, if things can be done by regulation as opposed to by legislation, it's a lot easier. Because you then you've, got to, you've got to, there are some things that are delegated that yeah. people can make decisions on, so that's easier. So then you, you, know, you use all of your evidence and your wiles and your this and your that to try and Influence. It's all about influence. Yeah. The whole thing is about influence and hopefully in a positive manner. I don't have any influence yet, but maybe one day I can use it for good if I do get any. <laughs> and something I was just hoping to touch on before we finished up was, do you have any advice to young people just starting out in their careers or just people starting out in their careers? Um, uh, never say, I won't be allowed to do that. Okay, I like that. <laughs> uh, because if I get, when I go to Britain, um, I hear that a lot. I won't so be allowed to really, do that. really like to do. We we would really, really like to do what you've done, but they wouldn't let us do that. And I say you cannot say that. You just cannot say. It, it, it might take a while, but you think it's right because it is. It's about passion. And I think the other thing I would say is that um, uh, strength comes with having um, an, an sort of evidence informed 
thing behind yourself, which mm. means that you need to get literate in, in understanding evidence and its foibles and its uncertainties in a way that you don't get from medical school and probably don't even get from, from you might do in public health training, but you, you need to, and my time on, on the pharmac was invaluable from that, You're just endlessly looking at data and realising just how flawed some of it is, yeah. in order to have that evidence informed, and with, for me as a clinician it's helpful because I can have evidence informed discussions to help people make informed choices as patients mm. but in terms of talking to uh, to politicians because people grab an idea it sounds like a good idea and they just want to do it yeah. um, and and I you know what my, one of my last bullet points on my slide presentation yesterday was beware of people wanting a political legacy they want to be able to say they did that they bent the system to their will and made yeah. this happen yeah. um, so that's about so them not necessarily yeah, the greater yeah. good well, yeah. I guess the other thing is sometimes it, it guess if you're going to be a good critic and conscience of society which is an academic is your role you need to tread the line by, of being cooperative collaborative uh, but being able to say no and say no and mean it mm-hmm. um, and sometimes you just have to say no that's not the right thing to do we're not going to do it and because there may be that may have consequences for you but yeah, if yeah. you think that's important you say no and usually often what happens um, is that in time if you're really mm-hmm. passionate and you think you're really convinced you know the Tide will turn. When we started with direct consumer advertising, um, I was on the front page of the National Business Review as the sort of antichrist for three weeks in a row because it was going to be such a big wow. effect on the marketers, the advertisers, and what have you. And the journalists were, you know, very much against it. Over about a period of a year, all of the headlines changed, and all of the, the discourse from the journalists who who'd looked into it yeah. were basically supportive, even though it would mean that they are so. Uh, that their their magazines and so on might lose revenue. So you you know you you that's the other thing. If it's, if you're going to take on the establishment, or yeah. one way or another, then you've got to have um, Kevlar. I mean, you have to have thick skin, and you yeah. have to be able to be you know. Uh, you have to be able to uh, take the the brickbats that will come, as well as the bouquets. We we had our offices broken into and a oh whole goodness. bunch of stuff. It was it yeah. was very um threatened to be sued. I mean, all kinds of yeah. things that um, if it's something important and there are big vested interests that you're taking on, it's like the activists. You know, my daughter works full-time for Greenpeace and, and they, um, you've got to be pretty tough. But you plug and you plug and you plug and you, and you get there. Well, thank you. I think that's really good advice and there's definitely some things in there that I need to work on because they don't come to me naturally. <laughs> I might just quickly finish with the question we always ask, which is, is do you have a favourite book or um, a movie or something that's really inspired you or changed the way you've thought about the world that you could recommend for our listeners? Um, not one that springs to mind. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, i tell you what, I, I can tell you a movie that, that um, reinforced a lot of things that I... Um, Thing, and it's um, Sicko by uh, Michael Moore. Oh, I, I actually haven't seen that. I shouldn't admit okay, that, well, but I should have seen Michael it. Moore's. I mean, they're very um, you know, um, polemic sort of things, but there's one scene in this. Oh, it's a spoiler, isn't it? There's, <laughs> a, there's one scene in this which sums it all up, what's wrong with the world, um, in, in the area that I've been dealing with, it, where um, he takes a, a, a group of uh, Americans down to Cuba and to get their prescriptions filled in a pharmacy. Mm. And the um, a woman comes out crying, and and, and essentially, um, you know, do they not have what you wanted? Yeah, they have what I wanted. Is it not the right one? Yeah, it's the right one. And it was very, 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 very cheap, less than a dollar. And that that mm. wasn't. So why are you crying? And I said because I spent a hundred dollars on this U.S. where I live. Wow. You know, so that that the whole that whole sector 
mm-hmm. is um, medicine uh, for profit. Well, it, it's it's in need of a lot of attention, and I've been kind of involved at various levels in that. Um, that's where the Kevlar came from, but all the thick skin. But uh, there's plenty of opportunities for advocacy. There's lots of things that, um, and I guess you start from what's what's of net benefit to the public health. Um, and it doesn't always have to be negative. I mean, some things, but all this health reform is all positive stuff. Yeah. So, being a generalist, um, I like to have lots of fingers and lots of pies. So, and that's uh, you know, dip, and you can sort of you know, draw linkages between them. Um, so, my I guess my last thing, if you've got time for last, yes, thing, we certainly the do. The last thing is find find some mentors because. Going back to what I was saying about clinical leadership or leadership is that you need to, you, that innate leadership, and lots of people who've gone through medicine, you know, they were school school captains, and I mean, they already mm. got leadership skills. But mm. so they, they have to have that. You have to understand evidence, and then crucially, you need to understand the political process. Mm. In, the, in the, you know, the, which is the art of the possible, and that's best. The best thing way to do that is to sort of try and get on some committees and go and and get people to go along with people. Mm-hmm. Don't have to even say much. Just watch and then yeah. debrief afterwards. It's a bit like you know learning how to consult. Mm-hmm. It's learning how to influence. The best possible outcome, in my view, is if you want to affect a change, is to affect that change, and no one knows that you had anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I that's like that. That. <laughs> that is, that is yeah. to me, that's the. Ultimately, you, yeah. you don't need to be acknowledged. You just can take the satisfaction. That that something right. That's fantastic <laughs> advice. And yeah, I really like your um, your strength in advocacy. And also, I think the whole mentoring um, advice is certainly a theme. So I hope people sort of really can take from that. That you're certainly not the person first person to suggest that. So I think that it must be really important if quite a few people are saying yeah. it. Uh, well, thank you very much for your time, and I hope you um, enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you very much. Um, And we'll talk to you next time on Stories in Public Health.